Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 22 of the Print Design Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Hopkins, and thanks for being here. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to tell you about the Color Bar Challenge. Now, what is the Color Bar Challenge? This is a design and creative thinking challenge for graphic designers and creatives. It's completely free to participate in. And all you need to do to sign up is go to printdesignacademy.com. Put your little info in there so we can send you all the assets and stuff. So let me tell you a little more about it. We have created a bar, a cocktail lounge, specifically for designers and creatives called The Color Bar. Now, The Color Bar needs a brand. The Color Bar needs a brochure in order to start advertising its services, advertising some of its cocktails and things like that. And it's your job as the designer to go through the process of creative problem solving, using your creative thinking, and designing a brochure that solves this problem. We give you the brief, we give you the photos, we give you the copy, and we get to see what you create. Now, there are going to be designers from all over the world taking part in this challenge. And what I think is going to be so unique about it is each designer is going to have something just a little bit different, a little bit their style, but they had all started from the same spot with the same assets, the same materials, the same opportunities. So over the five days of this challenge, each day we will teach you something that you need to know when it comes to file setup for print. So this is starts from right from the InDesign file setup to images and converting to CMYK and why you need to do that, resizing images for print, exporting for print in the end, like all of these things to teach you the process of designing for print and the few things that you need to watch out for and set up before you just go willy-nilly sending files into a printer. Really excited for this challenge. We got some amazing designers taking part in this that will be revealed later this week. Gosh, excited to have you in there. So if you think you're ready for the Color Bar Challenge, and you just might be, head to printdesignacademy.com and sign up there. We'll see you there. So today's guest, today's guest, today's guest is Emma Fanning from Little Fox Design Studio out of Victoria, British Columbia, Vancouver Island. It's a beautiful place if you ever get the chance to go there. Uh, During this episode, it's a little bit different than the usual where we do a deep dive on a specific print project. But Emma and I go through the top three ways to greenify your print project for yourself or for your customer to make it more environmentally friendly. Now, this is not going to apply to all projects, all customers, things like that. But there will be information that you can pull away from this episode and use during your design career to create graphic design solutions that are more environmentally friendly. And that is the whole purpose of today's episode. So Emma is way better at talking about this stuff than I am. So let's get right to it. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest, Emma Fanning. Cue the music. Welcome to the Print Design Podcast, the show where we talk about all things print and packaging. We go behind the scenes with designers and talk about the print projects they designed that really rocked their world. From file prep to holding the finished product in their hand and all the key decisions in between. So 
Let's talk ink on paper. Emma, welcome to the Print Design Podcast. I feel like we just spoke to each other a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago. It really wasn't. Um, We had such a great conversation on the Quickie Podcast, and a lot of what you talked about, or or a chunk of what you talked about with your green design, was involving print. So there just seemed like a complete natural transition to get you on this show to really go deeper in that category. And um, let's start this off by you introducing yourself to this audience. Yeah, so hi everyone. My name is Emma and I own a small design studio called Little Fox Design that focus on, focuses on environmentally friendly design and packaging for clients as well as branding. And, you know, really it's just about trying to minimize your impact on the planet uh, through the design work that you're doing. Love it. Nailed that. Yeah, I think I nailed that elevator pitch in the last one too. <laughs> If I remember, right? I had a lot of practice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. So really, what, through sort of our back and forth conversation, we're going to dive into, you know, we'll think of a sexy name later, but the sort of top three <laughs> ways to, to greenify or to make your print project more environmentally friendly. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. This is awesome. So before we get into these top three, is there an example or two of clients that you have worked with or that you've had? that you've made some design changes for or some spec changes for for a print job to make it more environmentally friendly? What have you personally done? Yeah, so I work with a lot of local clients here in Victoria and something that I've kind of done in the last year or so especially is sort of bullied them into choosing green options. Not necessarily like being really mean about it, but basically I have very specific stipulations in my contract for when I work with clients that everything they work with with Little Fox has to be printed on some kind of eco-friendly material that's been vetted by me. So whether or not that's just 100% recycled paper stock that's really, you know, high quality and nice and same price point as like a virgin paper, Mm -hmm. um, you know, great, that's fine. If they're looking for something more luxurious and there's a whole range of options that we can go for. And for some clients that they wanted, you know, a metallic coating, and we'll talk about this more later, but as it turns out, we can actually design them a much more beautiful luxury result, uh, maybe with letterpress, maybe with die cutting. Um, that really is just so much more beautiful <laughs> than just a metallic coating um, that is pretty run of the mill now with Vistaprint these days. And so um, a lot of what I've been doing is really just sort of taking these local clients that have never really thought about uh, any kind of green design or sustainable printing and mm-hmm. sort of introducing Introducing that to them and having them be really, really impressed and happy with the results and, you know, having that be something that is comfortable for them and that they can feel proud of because now they know that they've reduced their impact, um, mm-hmm. whether or not they wanted to in the first place or not. Um, but I know that it's been sort of like a talking point for some of my local clients. And so it's nice to be able to help them transition in that way and make it something that is accessible to them. So when you say like a metallic coating or a foil or something like that, and you're able to create something even more beautiful than that by doing yeah. letterpress or a unique die cut or something like that, are they gener- your clients are pretty receptive to that then? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, usually like there's just sort of like a, a, a communication barrier about it because 
they've only like really the client is coming to you because you are an expert in print or you are an expert in design. And so I think that you sort of have the responsibility to show them what's out there in terms of, you know, beautiful applications of print design, yes. um, because that's so much more than just like going on the Vista print site and having them say, Oh, your luxury upgrade is gold foil. Yes. Um, and so when you show them the options and explain to them the environmental sacrifices that they are making with choosing, you know, soft touch mat coatings or, or foil, um, often they're very, very interested in the other, you know, more sustainable option that, you know, looks extremely luxury because, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's something that when you're using letterpress or a die cut or a beautiful, beautiful paper stock that has, you know, it, it is dyed a color already. So you're not just printing ink on it. Um, you know, that is taking the client to that level of like luxury print design that you see in magazines and award shows. And, you know, it, it's just that next level of superiority and high class branding. Yes, I love that. And the way that you described about colored paper itself becoming part of the design and mm -hmm. part of your design planning is mm -hmm. so on point. And um, just for the last episode of the Print Design Podcast, I interviewed Chris Tipton, who runs Fresh Impressions Letterpress. And the mm -hmm. question at the end of the episode that he wanted to ask the audience is, what are you going to design, to design next on paper that's not white? Yeah, I love it. Because of how amazing it is to interact with that and really take, okay, so I'm going to be designing this on a off-white or a slight brown hue paper or a light green paper. You can now take that thought process to you know, the photos that you're going to use if it's a larger print piece. How is your inks going to interact with that? How can you use that color as you know an additional print color, but not printing it? How can that play with your design? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I really think that that is sort of like the peak of print design. Honestly, I love papers. I think it's the best thing ever to like get a nice swatch book and like look through it and just, yeah. you know, choose your project based on that. Obviously, availability matters. But, you know, it's just I think that it opens up so many more doors for creativity and different print applications than just putting a colored background block on your illustrator artboard and just being like, it's print design. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like the, the peak of print design is when you're using an off white paper to create an antique vintage photo look in your two color duotone photo. That's in there. That's like, boom. That's like you're, you're exactly. the pro. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. That's great. I love the intro. I love the little, the chats. Um, so top three ways to greenify your print job um, let's get into that. What do you have for number one? Number one is actually paper choice. So very apt that we were discussing this. Definitely. But I, um, so yeah, it's really, really important uh, when you're designing that you actually consider your material choice first in terms of sustainability. Because in any kind of print project that you're going to be doing, your paper st stock choice is actually the majority of the carbon footprint and potential greenhouse gas emissions um, and climate change impact of the entire project. And so it's really, really important that you're selecting, um, you know, something that is sustainable first and then considering different, you know, different fonts and design and all of the other stuff that comes later. But, mm -hmm. you know, being able to select a material that is, you know, low impact and kind to the planet, whether or not that's 100% recycled material or some kind of um, more new age material that's maybe reclaimed straw, hemp paper, or mm -hmm. even cotton. Yeah. And, you know, there's so much um, innovation going on with papers right now that it's such an exciting time to be a sustainable print designer. 
Definitely. And another tie-in to what we were talking about before is colored stocks is a lot of times those alternative fiber papers create some of the most unique textures and colors. And again, that's just another element that you can start including in your design, like how to interact and play with that within your designs. Um, Mm And the visualization that I get when you say, you know, paper stock is really the number one spot that you got to look at if you're going to greenify this print job. And, you know, I picture the amount of jobs that I've seen that are pallets upon pallets of paper and using like half a can of ink. So, So which one of those things could have the greater impact on your project, right? And Mm -hmm. you nailed it on the head, paper stock. Yeah. So one of the things that I've personally run into when specking, you know, a virgin paper versus a 100% recycled paper Mm -hmm. is the cost difference. And by cost difference, meaning that the not or the virgin material being less expensive than a recycled material and trying to explain that to a customer is sometimes tough. Yeah, I I think it definitely can be. It depends on what kind of paper stock you're going for. I know that um, Nina Sundance line has amazing stocks that are like pretty much on par, like within a few cents, depending on what printer you're going to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes it's just being able to find a printer that that has something that's actually budget friendly for the client. Mm -hmm. Um, But I kind of see it as the way that I usually like deal with um, clients sort of being hesitant about price points or any kind of increase in the print cost from like the very, very basic is that when you're choosing something that is 100% recycled or even if you're going up a level and it's something like hemp paper, that can become part of their marketing and their branding itself. So it's more than just here's your business card. It's the practicality of giving it to someone at a networking event. You really get to talk about, hey, did you know? Do you like my business card? It's on hemp paper. Isn't mm-hmm. that neat? Um, and so it becomes like this really interesting talking point for the client where, you know, it, it's something they can feel proud of when they, you know, hand it out or, you know, show off their marketing material at a trade show. I love that point, you know, where your alternative fiber and your eco-friendly choice being a part of the marketing of that piece. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that's totally that's totally good, especially with some of the newer stocks. Like um, Mohawk just came out with their renewal line with the yeah. um, with the denim and cotton stock, mm-hmm. and that is such a unique paper that y- you would want to talk about that as part of the exactly. marketing for creation of that piece because it's so unique. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is really truly beautiful papers, and you know this is why I think it's so important to even just from a design perspective, ignoring the environmental side, to think about material first, um, because it can be such a powerful piece. Like, you know, for example, like Mohawk's renewal line, they have the hemp paper. um, And basically hemp is one of the most renewable, um, regenerative uh, fibers that you could choose for paper. So Uh I'm pretty big on it right now. Um, But if your brand color is that dark green and you want to print everything on the hemp line, you don't even have to like work very hard in terms of like the actual brand strategy that goes into the client if you want them to have that dark green because you already got a paper stock that can match up pretty much identical. Uh-huh. And so it's about like taking that print design and, and having it become this like physicality as part of the brand and the brand strategy for the client. Definitely. 
And a number of years ago, like thinking maybe, maybe even as early as five to six years ago, recycled paper was less attractive to the design audience because mm-hmm. it wasn't really a clean, beautiful surface on the stocks. Yeah. And in just a short few years, it's come a long way to be as premium, if not more premium in some cases, of a material and a print surface to work with as a designer. Absolutely. Yeah, I know that my my personal business cards uh, for the company are on um, Nina Sundance Felt, and yeah. you wouldn't be able to tell. Like, it's got a beautiful weave texture to it. It's a slightly off-white color, but one of my brand colors is an off-white color, so it worked really well. Nice. Um, and, you know, it's it feels incredibly high quality, and there's no speckling. I personally don't care about any kind of speckling or fibers that I uh-huh. see in the paper um, because that truly is the true form of paper, um, and it's just the way the paper looks naturally, so I'm not particularly concerned about that. Um, and that's something I talk to my clients about. And if they're really concerned, I will make sure to source the recycled paper stock with less speckling or no speckling. Um, but basically, you know, I, I think it's such a powerful tool to be able to have high quality, 100% recycled stocks to show the client. And you know, most of the time, my clients don't even know that it's different. Um, yeah. They just think it looks beautiful. A hundred percent. Totally true. So before we move on to the second point here that we want to talk about, um, I want to just throw down a little bit with you on the types of alternative fibers that you are aware of or that you've come across um, and just sort of see if there's uh, just tell people what's available. Okay. Um, There's a lot. It's actually super exciting. Mm -hmm. Um, So hemp is really great. Uh, Hemp is super, super regenerative. Um, The crops only take about 90 days to come to maturity and it's extremely uh, low waste in terms of turning it into paper. It has an extremely low energy, water and carbon cost. Um, So it's, it's really, really fantastic for paper. It creates an extremely high quality paper too. So it's very, very good for packaging purposes. Mm -hmm. Um, You've got cotton, recycled cotton paper. There's many different companies that are doing a cotton paper line, usually from reclaimed t-shirts or some kind of uh, reclaimed textile from a landfill, which is really good. Uh Um, Again, all of these papers really have low water um, and chemical costs because you don't have to bleach them as well usually. Um, So all across the board, they're pretty environmentally friendly. But cotton's really great because you're dealing with a landfill problem at the same time. Um, You can choose recycled jeans or recycled t-shirts, whatever your choice. Um, and it's really high quality and feels very soft. Um, like US dollar bills are made out of cotton and linen. So um, it's a really fantastic choice. Um, it actually used to be the, the main source of paper uh, until basically cotton and linen became into too high of a demand uh-huh. uh, in the war and they had to switch. So it was really, really popular for a long time. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Then there's like reclaimed straw, which is mostly coming out of Columbia pulp mill, um, which basically it's just farmers grow wheat and then they have to burn it at the end of the crop cycle to be able to plant the land again. And instead of burning the straw, it's reclaimed and turned into paper, uh, which is really, really neat, has a beautiful golden color, Um, reduces emissions significantly because there's no more agricultural burning being done. (laughs) Um, there's also bamboo paper, which is a little bit trickier because bamboo has a very high uh, chemical cost to be able to um, break down the the fibers and really Mm. turn it into paper. Um, And also, even though bamboo is a very, very rapidly growing grass, um, there are some areas that it's been grown where 
like the the um the land where the giant panda lives has been kind of like clear cut to grow bamboo for uh different applications and so you sort of have to be a little bit careful that you're sourcing uh like fsc certified bamboo or something Mm -hmm. that you know you know where it's coming from um because it's a little bit iffy in terms of uh the sustainability aspect there yep yeah um and then one of the other main ones is stone paper uh, which is really cool. So it's basically just calcium carbonate that's combined with HDP plastic. Um, so that's not great, um, but it does really create an interesting waterproof, smooth texture uh-huh. um, that is recyclable and can use recycled material. And the stone itself, like you don't need any water or trees to um, create the paper in the first place. So it's actually a really interesting choice for notebooks. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a few customers that actually used that for outdoor applications. They would create yeah. um, specifically for greenhouses. They were looking for a cost-effective material that was eco-friendly and not just straight plastic um, mm-hmm. for plant tags, for tree wraps to protect the, the stumps of trees and small growing trees. So yeah. that was the natural material that we went with. Um, and what was great about that is along the process, I learned that you know, synthetic paper, when you think of, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, paper made out of plastic, you're like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. that can't be eco-friendly. But it's actually very easily recycled. Yes. So that's a huge Definitely. pro of that as well. I think you can even like in most places, just put it in your blue bin yep. when you're done with it. <laughs> yeah. So it's really good from that standpoint. I mean, yes, mm-hmm. it is manufactured from raw <laughs> plastic. I think the plastic component in it is actually a minority. I haven't mm-hmm. found any like formulations specifically for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my understanding of how it's created, I think it's mostly calcium carbonate. Yes. Yep. No, yep. agreed. Yeah, the stone mm-hmm. stone paper. I just call it stone yep. paper. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I was just doing research on it, so I've got all the <laughs> I've got all the, the calcium carbonate names in my head. <laughs> nice. <laughs> um so you haven't mentioned elephant poo yet. Yeah, that one's not as common though. Like, <laughs> true. Like, I guess, like in the in the realm of like accessible choices for print design, that was not really like high on my list. There's mm-hmm. also no certifications for that one in terms of how well the animals are being treated. Um, so you're sort of like potentially crossing a line into like animal cruelty issues because there isn't any kind of like cruelty free certification for the paper usually. Um, Interesting so point. That is something to to consider with that one. Um, I think for the most part, it's usually artisans doing things with with the you know elephant poo paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're probably better off. Like it's probably pretty safe because usually smaller artisans are are taking care to those kinds of things. But it's definitely something to think about definitely it's interesting i never thought about from that realm you know if in africa you have a a small pen of elephants and they're just shoveling all the poo from this small (laughs) animal cruelty pen of elephants i just like i just i guess i just pictured it as like people going around in the wild finding piles of poop and like (laughs) shoveling it in and making (laughs) making paper out of it but you're right definitely things to think about and be cautious of when you're making those kind of decisions Mm-hmm. I think it's probably taken from a like large game reserve that's probably designated for mm-hmm. like hunting, um, which is a controversial issue in itself. Um, whether or not that's true conservation, um, that probably isn't appropriate to get into here. But um, <laughs> it is like definitely. I, I think it's something to consider that anytime the material is coming from like an animal, that you know that's part of sus- sustainability too. Is like planet 
people and, and animals as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I really don't care for the planet people economy uh, triple threat for sustainability. I think that far too often the economy side is much larger than the other two circles in that Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. And so therefore it's just uh, disproportionate. But, you know, I, I think that just like being able to, to sort of open our minds as designers and think about where the paper stock is coming from too, because even if you're sourcing a virgin paper fiber, you know, it's important that the supply chain for that forestry process is certified and reliable um, so that you're not cutting down um, an ancient forest to, you know, sell business cards to a client. Um, Yeah, for sure. Really not so great. (laughs) Yeah. Pure Amazon paper. Yeah. Well, and even like here in British Columbia too, you know, the old growth forests here aren't protected. Um, and a lot of it is logged for furniture and paper. And, you know, there's currently no policy in place to actually have checks and balances on that. Interesting. I was not aware of that. Oh, yes. So there you go. FSE um, is important. Yes. FSE is important. Um, FSE is a little bit controversial because it's not as effective in all areas in all countries uh-huh. um because it is a global certification so isn't pefc yeah so that's their supply chain like certifier it's basically again a global concept of just ensuring that there is a chain of custody uh-huh. uh from the, the the trees being grown to the end of result that gets to you the consumer uh-huh. um but because uh companies basically pay to certify themselves as fsc and there are you know uh, third-party auditors that um, you know label the wood as as uh, FSC or controlled. Um, when you get into the FSC mix labeling, um, that just means the wood is controlled, um, which means a guy in a like office in London just signed a piece of paper saying that it was sustainable um, without actually like doing proper due diligence on the wood. Uh-huh. And so when you're dealing with con- countries that have like high levels of political instability and corruption in local governments and also local business. Um, sometimes FSC wood is actually illegally harvested um, just because they don't have the same kind of ability to regulate on a local scale sometimes. Yeah. Excellent point. So moving on from paper now, which is which was the biggest sort of impact you can have on the environmentally friendliness or, or effort in creating a green print design. That's the biggest thing you can do and look at. What is the second? What's number two here? Number two is really designing for recyclability. And the biggest way that you can do that is just avoiding unnecessary additions to the paper. So avoiding metallic foils, avoiding um, metallic inks, avoiding soft soft touch matte coatings, uh, plastics, laminates, that kind of thing. Um, by avoiding those different additions to the paper, you're increasing the recyclability because during the de-inking process, um, those coatings are very difficult to separate, especially for uh, municipal uh, de-inkers instead of industrial ones. And Mm -hmm. so basically, the easier it is for the ink and everything that's on the paper to lift off the paper, the more fiber can be reclaimed and then recycled again. Oh, great point. So what were were some of those things that, um, that can impact that? Yeah, so soft touch matte coatings are a big one. Yep. Um, that's basically just a layer of plastic on usually your business card. Uh, it's really good for you know restaurant menus and stuff that is going to be wet and you know needs to retain structure over time. Mm-hmm. But for something like a business card, it's basically just a single use plastic when you when you do that. Um, 
And then I guess when you're thinking about the planning of that, though, when you're looking at a restaurant menu and you know you need the wipe wipeability and you know, yeah. durability by putting a plastic laminate on it, you technically could achieve the same attributes as that laminate using a calcium carbonate stone paper. Absolutely. And it's is the correct thinking that it, that would be a more environmentally friendly decision. Absolutely, because you're reducing the amount of plastic. Um, I'm going to say that that's probably out of some restaurants' budgets. Um, so that might be a point where you have to make a tough call. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting right now about COVID as well, you can't reuse materials. So restaurants right now are producing one-time use menus only. Yes. In the, yeah. in the hundreds, in the thousands even. Yeah. Which hopefully they're on recycled paper. <laughs> yeah, hopefully they are, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's a really big one, the soft touch matte coating and the laminate. Um, the aqueous coatings and UV spot coatings are also very difficult to remove because even though those are particularly marketed as being eco-friendly because they usually have lower VOCs, mm-hmm. um, it's still a polyethylene layer that's being left on the paper at the end of it that makes it shiny. Um, so it's, it's still plastic at the end of the day, no matter which way you use to attach it to the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very similar. And then probably the other uh, large one to avoid is just metallic foils and inks. Interesting. So tell me about metallic foils and inks. What What is the effect on that? Like, why is that something that creates more of a difficulty? I just, I guess when I think about it, it's, it's usually not a big coverage solid area. It's typically in, you know, fairly small spot treatment, but that yeah. still has an effect on the recyclability of that piece? Basically what happens is most of the metallic foils being used, I believe are just a metallicized plastic as well. Mm -hmm. Um, That seems to be the most common application for it right now because they no longer use heavy metals to create the actual metallics. Mm -hmm. Um, And so basically when this goes into the like de-inking like centrifuge basically um it's being dumped in with a lot of chemicals and water and so it's basically like being spun around and like working to remove all the ink and any kind of extra coatings Mm -hmm. and all those extra coatings are much much more difficult and take a longer time to remove uh from the paper fibers um and basically the most common uh form is basically like it floats to the top all this extra ink and adhesive and everything else and then it gets siphoned off and then the rest of the fiber remains and it's basically just like potentially bleached and then uh, pressed into regular paper again uh-huh. for what can be saved so anytime that you're decreasing the recyclability by making these coatings that are hard to to get off by adding them onto the paper or even using like coated paper. This is the same kind of thing. Um, coated paper, uh, the fiber return on recyclability is much less than uncoated paper. Mm-hmm. Um, just because again, you're putting all these clays and, and, uh, polyethylenes into the paper to give it that, you know, extra strength. Mm-hmm. Um, you're just decreasing the recycling yield, um, on the paper every single, every single time you add a layer onto it, it means less fibers are able to be recovered. Hmm. I never thought about that with coated paper. Yeah. But you're totally really true. Mm-hmm. It's also, there. there is a potential risk where if the level of contamination is too high, then the entire batch of fiber has to be thrown out because it's it just, it can't be um, saved. So there's that potential as well. Interesting. 
So I'm going to go a little bit, just sort of a, a left turn just for a second here. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you were talking about how, you know, once they, it's been in the centrifuge, you know, the fibers and um, they potentially bleach it to rewhiten it. Now, when I've looked at paper stocks, I've seen some of the environmental claims on the on certain paper stocks, you know, whitened without using chlorine bleach. Yes. What What is the alternative and, and why is that beneficial? Um. Basically, you should never, if you want to make an environmentally friendly choice, you should never pick a paper that's been bleached with chlorine. Mm-hmm. Um, there's many different, like, there's kind of like three levels of um, certifications for the chlorine bleaching. Um, and one of them's a little bit greenwashed. Um, but basically, the chlorine is an extremely toxic substance that is really great at bleaching paper, but often isn't properly um, managed by different mills. And so basically it becomes part of the toxic effluent that's like a waste product of creating the paper in the first place. Uh Um, And if the mill doesn't have a proper disposal mechanism for this, you know, effluent, then basically it's just being spit out into the um, ocean or land or wherever it is, river, um, legally or illegally, um, because a lot of paper mills will actually just pay um, to have to pay their EPA fine for violating the you know proper waste disposal practices mm-hmm. and that's easier for them to just pay the fine than it is to actually set up proper waste disposal in the first place mm-hmm. which is uh really sketchy yeah so i wasn't quite familiar with the the sort of what that really meant when it said it wasn't whitened using bleach i mean obviously bleach goes in white laundry to clean <laughs> white laundry mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. but how how that translated to paper and what the alternatives were so there's like different forms of chlorine um, and basically uh, chlorine dioxide seems to be the main one that is used for um, bleaching mm-hmm. and it's extremely carcinogenic. So it's not the same form of bleach that you're using in your laundry. Mm-hmm. Um, there are different sort of like chemical compounds that make up different types of bleach. Mm-hmm. Um Total chlorine-free, process chlorine-free, and elemental chlorine-free. Yes, process chlorine-free. That is the exact verbiage that I remember seeing. So total chlorine-free basically means that no chlorine compounds were used for the bleaching. Elemental chlorine-free means that chlorine dioxide was used. Um, And then processed chlorine-free means no chlorine or chlorine derivatives were used. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Which is really confusing because the the logos all look the same too with the like other than the first letter changing mm-hmm. uh, which is really uh difficult to to actually uh, suss out when you're trying to pick paper stocks so when it's processed chlorine free is that paper then just made using like the cleanest of the cleanest recycled pulp so that they don't need to go through that process or is there a is it is there just a more environmentally friendly way of achieving that that's a really great question. I believe that there's a more environmentally friendly way of achieving that, uh-huh. um, but I don't actually know that off the top of my head. Yeah, research for both of us. Uh huh. Okay, I'll look into it. You look into it, and we'll see who has the best answer. Yeah, I, I think I, I think there must be because they do whiten the paper. Like there is a way of whitening the paper because many of the recycled paper stocks are very white. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. And one of the one of the um, I believe the the elemental chlorine free 
one was basically basically created by the print industry um, to sort of muddy the waters a little bit because huh. it's, it's not quite the same as total chlorine free. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a little confusing. I might have this wrong. I might have just given you wrong information. You know, I could just go check in my course. <laughs> exactly. If you want the real answers and to double check yeah. our answers here, head over to... <laughs> Perfect. No, 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 that's good. If you want, I could even cut all this stuff out about the bleach because I was asking out of pure curiosity. Um, Whatever you're I just, like, I'm just worried I mixed them up again so because there's three. Let's do, <laughs> yeah, let's do this. Let's do this. Du- double check your answer like sometime later on this evening or, or this weekend or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And then just shoot me an email if you want to take it out. Easy, we take it out. And But if it's accurate, then let's keep it in. Okay, hang on. I just, I'm pulling up my script for the course mm-hmm. um, because I have a section here. Oh, perfect. And I can just, I can just read that. We can re- be reading. Okay, here we go. I got this. This is going to be the take. So you can cut out the rest, but this is going to be the take. This is official take. (laughs) Um, Total chlorine-free means that the paper did not use chlorine or chlorine compounds in its creation. All virgin compounds with this fiber are certified as being chlorine-free at all stages along the process of making the paper. Processed chlorine-free means recycled paper with a bleaching process that did not use any chlorine-based compounds. And then elemental chlorine-free is the one that you're going to be wanting to be wary of because it's a term invented by the paper mill industry, um, and it means that chlorine dioxide wasn't used. However, a different type of chlorine was used to bleach the paper and this alternative chlorine still carries the same toxic risk as chlorine dioxide which is the standard chlorine for bleaching paper interesting yes that's the that's the difference it's elemental chlorine free that's the uh greenwashed one that's the greenwashed one that's the one for marketing yeah that's the marketing one that's the marketing one perfect okay so we've got Number one way to greenify your print design project is making good choices when it comes to paper stock. That means avoiding a chlorine processed paper, making sure the paper has recycled content or is a fully recycled paper, taking a look at different colored stocks and alternative fibers that we could possibly be using. The second, we got into the types of finishes and extra embellishments and things that you should avoid if you're wanting to create a really green print project. Um, The third one, what do we got for the third one here, Emma? The third one is just to talk to your printer about whether or not they have any low VOC inks or any kind of plant-based inks that, again, are low VOC, which is basically just working to reduce the volatile organic compounds um, that are off gas by the ink as it's drying and basically reducing air pollution issues. Perfect. Now, the other thing when it comes to ink, um, and it's kind of funky to say, but ink itself, similar to paper, has, is, is undergoing ongoing research about alternative sources of ink or sources mm-hmm. of color, I guess, um, or dye or however you want to describe it that way. Um, yes. Do you know much about that? There's one particular ink um, that I've heard of, and I talked to, I think it was Cast Iron Design on the Quickie Podcast, my interview with them, talking about being one of the first um, design agencies to run a print job with algae ink. Yes, and, and that's so neat. 
Yeah, it's super cool. And they actually printed it, not just, you know, a little business card or something. It was a big project that they did with Patagonia. So it was, mm-hmm. a, it was a big deal. Yeah. And at the time, I think which is like a few years ago now, they only had black available. But I think they're testing more and more to, to get this to be other colors as well. Yeah, I think that that's really, really exciting. I'd love to see that sort of be really commercially viable right now or in the future. Yeah, definitely. And that's really, that's the old like crossing the gap or crossing the chasm. You know, you can have a really Mm -hmm. unique product, but how do you go from a unique product that a few people know about and a few people have used to, to mass consumption or mass use of a green product? That's the battle with all products, really. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. I, I think I think there's a lot of potential for plant-based inks that are sort of underutilized and undertapped right now just because the petroleum industry has such a sort of firm stronghold on, on inks um, because most of the VOCs are really just coming from the petroleum content and the ink that's, that's drying. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the more you reduce the petroleum content – the less air air pollution happens. Um, So, you know, I I think that like a lot of inks right now are either like plant-based inks are either made out of linseed oil or soybean oil. And I know that soybean is sort of the preferred one in the industry right now because it plays really well with the different uh, printing machines. um, And it also plays well with paper. Um, So it's kind of just like a win-win in terms of that because it's very easy to clean off plates and rollers. And, you know, it's very easy to lift off the paper in the recycling process. And it has a very high color payoff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I agree. Yeah, and plant plant-based inks from that standpoint have been you know a growing movement and more and more uptake on it mm-hmm. um but what i'd what i'd love to see and similar to what you just said is similar to what happened in the cereal industry you know 15 years ago mm-hmm. when all of these colorful cereals were out there that we were feeding to our kids and i was eating them and they were delicious Little did I know that they were colored with chemicals and food coloring and <laughs> things that shouldn't actually be in the human body. So, you know, I, more than 15 years ago, even 20 years ago, 25 years ago, there was that movement of how do we replicate these colors but using natural ingredients? So your your red Fruit Loops had beet pulp coloring in mm-hmm. them. And, you know, you'll things like that. Like, could you create a magenta using beet pulp as your plant-based mm-hmm. Ink. Like those sort of things like need to become more prevalent and more out there or in or created if they're not already. Yeah, I think it definitely there is a lot of potential for that. Um, because I mean, that is how people used to do it originally, right? It just came from natural berries and vegetables and, and stuff. And mm-hmm. I know that there's sort of like a growing movement, especially in the textile industry to shift towards more natural based dyes. Yes. Um, because the, the um, synthetic ones are extremely toxic um and really we shouldn't even be wearing them um based on my research it's basically it's it's a it's a really bad scene with the synthetic dyes for clothing um so you know i I think that that sort of like those innovations hopefully can carry over into the print side because i think it was only in 2000 that like they stopped having heavy metals be in the inks um for especially like pantone colors and warm red um which is far too late in my opinion um, but you know, I, I think that we can potentially even be pushing this even more into that more like regenerative side with, with having, you know, natural products and, and, uh, you know, vegetables and stuff like beets, you know, they they can create beautiful dyes. I know that actually my mom in Corona has been making her own dyes out of vegetables, um, and just using them for ink, for paper, for calligraphy, which oh, is really that's neat. That's cool. 
<laughs> um, it's really easy to do. Um, she just does it at home and she doesn't have any fancy materials or anything. Um, I don't think there's like a really long shelf life on the ink, but the colors she's made are extremely rich and vibrant and just super beautiful. I'm actually really jealous. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So if anybody listening to this knows about a little bit more about this ink research and creating, you know, magenta out of beetroots and, and whatever other colors out of other things, I don't know, banana peels to make yellow. I don't, I don't think that's a vibe on turmeric, the turmeric, that'll do turmeric. it. Turmeric is, I want my C, I want my Y to be made out of turmeric. Mm-hmm. I want my M to be made out of beet pulp. What am I going to use for cyan? Blue, um, blueberries? Could you do blueberries? Oh, uh, pea flowers. Really? Um, yeah. Do you, have you heard of Empress Gin? Yes. I love Empress Gin. Yeah, it's this beautiful dark blue color. Yep. It's entirely naturally dyed. That's cool. Yeah. So there we go. That's it. And then we got the algae for the black. There it is. I want my... (laughs) We'll have to create that. But if anybody knows more about that research, please hit me up on Instagram. Let me know. I'd love to hear about that. Me Um, too. I want to hear about it too. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. So Emma, this has been awesome. Such an insightful look at the different, you know, just three different things that we could look at when creating a green print project or adding more to the green print project. Um, And the last question I want to, I want to ask you here is just sort of an an opinion question. Um, What is the balance? And we were talking a little bit about this before the show. What is the balance between creating an attractive print piece using something that maybe isn't completely environmentally friendly that would gain more consumption, more use versus creating something that isn't as attractive, but is eco-friendly, but doesn't have the same consumption, sort of an, an interesting balance and, and place to, to be. Yeah. To, to answer very like directly to the question, I think that it really depends on the what the level of environmentally like unfriendly standard is like what is the sacrifice that you're having to like make the the trade-off between Mm -hmm. um if it's relatively minor like we were talking about if you're printing full bleed on something that creates a more beautiful end result but you're using a sustainable material that's pretty unimportant um i know there's like a lot of like it's pretty popular right now to use eco-friendly fonts um that have like lower x heights and you know, are thinner, but this actually like hurting accessibility issues. And if inks make up less than 1% of the material used for your entire project, fonts make up even less. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think it's just sort of like weighing the different choices that you're making and like what ones are potentially sacrificable. Like maybe you don't have to use an eco-friendly font. Um, maybe you do full bleeds instead of a, you know, having a, a white border. Um, you know, maybe you don't even have plant-based inks, but you've chosen a really sustainable material that's, you know, super fantastic. Or maybe, you know, your, your material is just FSC certified. You know, not every project is going to be able to have the check, 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 check on, on all of these things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think at a certain point, you can get to a level of decision fatigue. Um, and, and that's sort of why when we get down to these questions of, well, should I have bleed? Is that unethical? Um, what about it's, it's regular petroleum inks? Is that bad? You know, I think you just sort of have to be evaluating the, the full impact of the project mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, figuring out even personally for you as a designer, what things you want to care about most and what things are potentially optional in a project. So 
Yeah. What a great direct answer. I love how you approach that just directly. Here's the here's the brass tacks. <laughs> and so really it's less of a concern on the font you use and the 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 makeup of the inks that you use because really if you've ticked the box of this is a paper I'm using a paper substrate that's 100% post consumer mm-hmm. you you just did 90% of the work. Basically. And, you know, I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind because it can get a little overwhelming, especially when you're trying to balance client requests um, for the design as well as your own design sensibilities and morals in the project. And, you know, it would be great if all of our projects could turn out being printed on, you know, a Mohawk renewal line with plant-based inks and then you don't need a bleed because the paper is beautiful and everything's great and you didn't put any coatings on it. Fantastic. Awesome. But that doesn't always happen. And so it's really not about being able to do this all the time, every time. It's just being able to make the best choices that you can for each project. 100%. Uh, Emma, this has been fantastic. If there are listeners who are more interested in more about green graphic design beyond just print, but going deeper with green graphic design, um, I know you're the pro in this category. Where can they find out more information about this? They can find out more information on my Instagram or my website. My website is littlefoxdesign.com. And then my Instagram is at littlefoxdesignstudio. And that's basically where I keep most of my like blog posts, informational, educational carousels and on the website. You can find uh, my course for green graphic design, as well as, you know, free webinar replays that I've done and lectured about all of these things. Um, so you can sort of get the basics if you're interested in this. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love that. Emma, thanks so much for being my guest today. This has been awesome. Thank you. All right, everybody. That is the end of today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you think you're ready for the color bar challenge, head over to printdesignacademy.com and sign up. Remember, there is only five days where you can sign up for this challenge and then we shut her down and the challenge begins. Five days starts now. Now, well, it started a little bit a little bit ago, but it starts now, depending on when you're listening. Just go to printdesignacademy.com, sign up for the color bar challenge. See you in there.